Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. I want to thank our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for the contributions they make in public publicizing our events, Shaw Television that show up and distribute this uh, throughout the region uh, during the week, and to the Lethbridge Herald, who always give us excellent coverage, and above all, to Country Kitchens, who, no matter whether we get 20 or 150 here, they manage to adapt and serve us excellent uh, meals. The uh, meals are free, but the company you're keeping is $11. So would you all put $11 in the basket, uh, whether you eat or not, because it's uh, the company that you're paying for. Okay, we're delighted today to have Ron Lippert here. He... Uh, comes from a place called uh, Saltcoats, uh, Saskatchewan, and I had to ask him where that was from. But see, you've got lots of friends here, so I won't have to explain it. Most people know, but it's near Yorkton, he tells me. And like so many people, uh, he drifted from Saskatchewan. I think uh, I know my own coffee group, Wilf and I, are the only two from Alberta. Everybody else is from Saskatchewan. Uh, he came from Saskatchewan in 1971 and enrolled in the Columbia School of Broadcasting and worked in media for 10 years and then became press secretary for uh, Premier Peter Lougheed in 1980, a position he held for five years. And as a result of that, I think he got very interested in politics because he was with Peter participating in a number of federal provincial uh, conferences that were the highlight of those days when we had the constitutional accord and en energy at the top of our agenda. Uh, he has worked for uh, TELUS and uh, was instrumental in rebranding uh, uh, AGT to TELUS, and he has uh, run his own public relations forum. Coming back to politics as a result of his work, I think, with Peter and uh, uh, he became the member for Calgary West in 2004. 2006, he became Minister of Education and was instrumental in placing the first five-year term uh, agreement with teachers and resolving the long-standing unfunded pension liability issue. Uh, he then was appointed to a non-controversial position after that and became Minister of Health and Wellness and, uh, of course, he's the man that streamlined the system so that we have all the health authorities combined into one. And then, since that position was a little hot, he moved to a very quiet position. He moved into uh, the Ministry of uh, Energy for the province and uh, worked on the royalty structure. And finally, uh, because he wasn't... Uh, sufficiently battered yet when uh, Premier Redford was elected she asked him to become Minister of Finance and he served in that role from until May 2012 when he decided not to uh, seek re-election and retire. A well-deserved career. Today he's speaking on is a provincial sales tax 
or a revised tax system in Alberta inevitable? And rather tell you what he's going to talk about, I'm going to invite him to the podium and have him do that. Well, thank you very much for that introduction. That was uh, very kind. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, a couple of comments uh, relative to thanks for those who uh, uh, obviously also immigrated from uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, I, I was at uh, Brad Wall dinner once in, in, uh, in Calgary before he was elected Premier of Saskatchewan. And uh, at that time, it was uh, fundraisers trying to get him elected as Premier of Saskatchewan. And uh, he made a, an interesting comment that's always stuck with me. And the reason it has, I think, is because of the year. Uh, Brad Wall said that 1949, was the last year that the population of Saskatchewan exceeded the population of Alberta. Now, I didn't know that, but if you think about it now, Saskatchewan has just gone over the million mark, and uh, Alberta is at uh, about 3.7 million. <coughs> so there's a lot of us here. <laughs> I guess uh, we, we're responsible for a lot of that. I also uh, appreciate the, uh, the comments relative to my time in elected office. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 as, as, as people like my good friend uh, Clint Dunford will attest, it is a special privilege to be part of uh, public service. I think it's, uh, it, for me, it was uh, uh, a challenge to go in and uh, I, I think try and fix some things. Uh, the debate will range long after I'm gone from this world, whether it was fixed or whether I made it worse, I don't know. But uh, you go in there, if you feel strongly about something, try and get it done. And too often in government today, we spend too much time studying stuff and not enough time making decisions and moving on. But I had the opportunity to uh, get a phone call to come and speak to your group today. I know that uh, Clint will probably back me up on this, that uh, once you leave public office, you're pretty much forgotten about, and, uh, and that's actually a good thing. I actually like that. Now, the media still call me occasionally and uh, ask me about cer certain things in politics, and uh, I was never shy about saying what I thought about things, and I probably it's a hard habit to break. So I have made a few comments, uh, especially about things like our tax structure, and I guess that's why I remained on the radar for the invitation today. But before getting into re my remarks, I want to just take a, about 30 seconds and shamelessly promote what I'm doing today, because I have not retired. I wish I could afford to retire, but I have not retired. But, so this is a bit like the uh, 10 minutes that you have to put up of advertising when you pay to go see a movie. But... Uh, uh, in September, I joined a firm called Canadian Strategy Group, and if you go on to the website of Canadian Strategy Group, they'll tell you that we assist organizations in navigating government, help shape public policy, and work with clients to communicate effectively with government. So I take every opportunity I can to uh, speak to uh, groups and gathering because I look at every one of you and every one of those that I speak to as a potential future client in some way. So that's it for the commercial. So as the promotional material says and was mentioned, we're here to talk taxes. 
I guess before we do that, though, I want to leave you with this thought. I think history will show that my generation, the baby boomers, and frankly, my children's generation, those in the 30 to 50 age group, may be the most selfish in the history of mankind. We've never had to go to war. We've had a couple of mild recessions, but never anything like the Great Depression. Our generations have enjoyed unprecedented wealth, the highest level of services, and actually consider a vacation a right, not a privilege. Some of us call it the me generation, and I don't think it's too far from the truth. Yet I'm afraid we're leaving our next generations with huge debt loads. And in the case of Alberta, well, we aren't leaving debt, although I guess that could be argued after the latest budget. We are not putting away virtually any of our depleting natural resource revenue. Now, in fairness, Finance Minister Doug Horner did announce a savings plan in the budget, and I guess if all goes according to plan, that is borrowing for capital and saving in the Heritage Fund, our net savings should still exceed our borrowing in three years. Now, one could make the case that we have several hundred years of proven oil reserves in northeastern Alberta, so future generations aren't going to have to worry. They can enjoy the same lifestyle we're enjoying today. So why the need to save? Well, I guess conversely, one could make the argument that at some point in the not-too-distant future, oil could be displaced as the primary fuel source and make our resources worth much less than they are today. Now, I think that's highly unlikely, but I don't think it was long that long ago that a speech like I'm delivering today would have been prepared on a typewriter, might have been circulated by a fax machine. And as we all know in the communications business that those are two almost virtually defunct devices. So my point is simply this. For the high level of services that we receive today, and frankly we do receive a very high level of service, we're not paying our way. Now in the case of the federal government and most other provinces, they are adding to an already crushing debt load. We've heard a lot about the fiscal cliff, and more recently about sequestration in the United States and their $16 trillion debt. But I would suggest that before we get a little too smug relative to the U.S. fiscal situation, let's take a look at how Canada stacks up. If you add the debt load of all of the provinces and the federal government, it exceeds a trillion dollars. Not just by a few dollars, but by billions. So when taken into account, the fact that the U.S. has 10 times our population, that $16 trillion is not all that much worse than where we find ourselves in nationally. And so how does all this apply to Alberta when we have no debt? Well, I guess first of all we could say we're all Canadians, so part of that federal debt is ours. Secondly, we've built in such a high quality of services in this province that oil priced at almost $100 a barrel can't even balance the books. Now, just to be clear, I'm not blaming the provincial government, but I believe it's time that elected representatives at all levels showed the political courage to have a discussion. So what do I mean by that? In the case of other governments who are running huge deficits and adding to the debt every year, that just seems like the easy way out. Political leaders simply won't face the electorate and be brutally honest when it comes to what today's generation is receiving in benefits compared to what they are paying. 
In Alberta, I guess I'm disappointed that we won't even seem to enter into the discussion about our tax structure. We're simply not paying our way today. We're spending all of our resource revenue on today's groceries. I would actually argue we're spending some of our future generations' revenue on today's groceries. Now, there's no question that Albertans demand a high level of public service, especially when it comes to health and education, as well as modern infrastructure. Now, Albertans are also smart people and understand that you can't have a high level of services, new schools, universities, health care, cultural and recreational facilities without paying for them. So I contend that if framed properly, the majority of Albertans are prepared to pay more for those services. I don't get the impression that Albertans are in favor of an across-the-board reduction in services or a major slowdown in capital spending. And I also believe that, again, if framed properly, the majority of Albertans would agree that some of the resource revenues that we're spending today belong to our future generations and should be saved. Now, I've used the term framed properly twice. Now, you folks, in one way or another, have had some experience in the communications business. Some are still involved in it. You understand what that means. But I'm told that these forums are recorded and, in some instances, comments have been used against the speaker, so let me explain what I mean by framed properly. Recently, there was a poll that indicated 75% of Albertans do not favor a sales tax, or for that matter, tax increases, period. Well, frankly, the only thing that shocks me about that is that those results weren't closer to 100%. Now, nobody I would know would say yes to a simple question, should we increase your taxes? Of course, 75% of the respondents would say no. However, if the question was framed more along the line of, the Alberta government is facing a revenue problem due to reduced oil royalties, so would you favor a discussion about a revised tax structure as compared to severe spending cuts? My guess is you'd get a totally different answer. So let's get a little specific for a moment. What are the raw numbers? What is our current tax structure, and what do we pay? Now, it's absolutely no surprise to anyone in this room, I would suggest, that Alberta has the lowest tax structure in Canada. We have no provincial sales tax. We have a flat 10% income tax. And I could go on, but I think you know what I mean. Now, if Albertans pay the same amount of taxes that residents of British Columbia pay, and keep in mind, B.C. is the second lowest tax structure in the country. It would mean an $11 billion annually, an additional $11 billion annually, would flow to the Treasury of the province. And you think about our provincial budget is somewhere in the range of about three times that amount. So there is room for a discussion about tax changes, and it would not even come close to jeopardizing our position as the lowest tax jurisdiction in Canada. I talked earlier about political courage. Of course, the main reason that leaders in Alberta refuse to have a discussion about taxes is because of the fear of political backlash. And they may be right, especially if it's not framed properly. On the other hand, there are areas where a tax increase would hardly be noticed. We had this discussion when I was finance minister. If we use gasoline taxes as an example, a five-cent increase in the tax at the gas pumps generates almost a half a billion dollars annually. Interestingly, a number which equates to just about 
the provincial deficit that was introduced about a couple of months ago. And what would be the response from Albertans? Well, I would uh, venture to say that uh, if you went out on the street today and you asked 20 people in Lethbridge, what is the price of a liter of, ga of gas today? The answer would probably be, I don't know, somewhere around a buck. Because it fluctuates between five and 10 cents, it seems like every weekend. So would anyone even notice a five cent gasoline tax? But more importantly, municipalities annually increase transit fares as part of a user pay system. And it results in virtually no political backlash. Yet as a driver on the provincial roads, and I drove down this morning, I haven't paid an extra nickel towards the upkeep of our road system in more than 20 years. Now, of course, in Alberta, we don't have a provincial sales tax or a PST. But remember, here in Alberta, we've had a sales tax for some 20 years now. It's called the GST. And it goes right back to the federal government. And uh, if we want to talk about a political backlash, I think the last time I checked, we consistently elected, with maybe one exception, all conservative MPs in Alberta. Now, it's estimated that a 1% provincial sales tax would generate a billion dollars annually, or a 5% sales tax, which would be the equivalent to the GST, that would raise about $5 billion annually. Now, for discussion purposes only, and I want to make it clear, I'm not here promoting a provincial sales tax. I am here saying, let's have a reasonable discussion about taxes. Now, currently, resource revenues are projected to raise about $9 billion annually, give or take a billion here or there. But for simple discussion purposes, let's talk about $9 billion annually from resource revenues, $5 billion annually from a five-cent sales tax. So if the government, and again, here's where I get back to framing it properly. If the government said, let's discuss having a five-cent sales tax and started saving 30% of non-renewable resource revenue in the Heritage Fund, like it was created to do 30 years ago, the immediate result would be a balanced budget, not including the borrowing for some capital, because the tax that we would gain would exceed by some 50% the lost resource revenue, about $2 billion annually. We would start to rebuild the Heritage Fund for future generations, and under this scenario, the principal of the Heritage Fund would grow, grow about $3 billion annually. And based on today's resource revenue, the Heritage Fund would grow to around $100 billion in 30 years. Now, future generations would benefit because several decades down the road, that $100 billion would be in place to act as a cushion against resource revenues. But I think we need to do more than that. So I want you to think about this model. The Heritage Fund could be divided into three categories. It could be called the Capital Division, the Alberta Division, and the Canada Division. Interest generated annually in the Capital Division today would only be about two or $300 million, but would increase every year as more money was added to the principal, and that could be used for infrastructure. 30 years from now, if we had a $100 billion fund, that capital budget annually would be in the range of 2 to $3 billion and would sustain the capital needs that we require to rebuild our infrastructure. If the province moved forward on 
continues to move forward on borrowing for capital, you might use some of that to pay back the interest on the borrowing for capital. Now, the second division is what I would call the Alberta division. And I know that, uh, Clint, you were still there when we did the Ralph Bucks, weren't you? Yes. I know that that has two sides to it. But let's think about the Alberta division being an annual dividend to every Albertan. Again, in the first few years, it wouldn't be much because you'd only have two or three hundred million dollars in it. But if you thought about that growing again to that hundred billion in 30 years, at the initially, it would offset some of that 5% uh, sales tax. But remember, I stated at the outset that it should not be today's generation, which has it too good, that should be the main beneficiary of a dividend-paying fund. The real benefactor of that division would be several generations after us, including those in the 30 to 50-year age group who may be forced to supplement a pension around that time. Now, the third division I'd call the Canada Division, and it would be used for the benefit of the entire country. And I know somebody's going to say, hold it, hold it, this is Alberta's money, not Canada's money. But the reality, however, is this fund, if it got to $100 billion, would really start to create Alberta envy. Now, we saw what happened in the 80s when the federal government decided Alberta should share its resource wealth with the rest of the country. So I'm suggesting we could avoid that by committing dollars to the betterment of Canada. Now, I'm not sure what those projects would look like, but we've got lots of smart people who could certainly put their heads together and come up with some things. But what about a new national park outside of Alberta that would be paid for by this Canada division? Maybe we bring students from other parts of Canada on scholarships to learn at our world-class universities. Or maybe it could even be used for some economic benefits, such as expanding the pipeline to New Brunswick, where additional jobs would be created, refining our Bitcoin. Keep in mind, most Canadians will still be buried in debt 30 years from now if we built up a $100 billion savings fund. And I guess the final area that I want to touch on today, I know Newt told me that I have to speak for half an hour because it's being televised, but I usually only try to speak for 15 or 20 minutes because I think I bore people after that, but I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about health care. Because I think we all know the funding into the future for health care, we have to think about differently. We keep hearing that our current model is unsustainable, and frankly, I believe they are correct. I think all factors are pointing to a fiscal cliff in Canada when it comes to health care. Why? I think we all know we have an aging population. We're all living longer. Everything when it comes to health care is getting more expensive. We all have to buy drugs, and we realize that. But probably the biggest reason is because Canadians want more and more of new advancements in health care covered under the publicly funded system. Today, almost one half of our budget goes to health care. Some $16 billion is our health budget. But I actually contend the percentage of our provincial budget that goes to health care is quite a bit higher than that. You know, there are many other components of our provincial spending. I think about education costs for children with learning disabilities, justice, health-related expenditures for those who are incarcerated, health impacts of homelessness, and I could go on, but none of these costs 
are part of our health care budget. And it really, they are, they are health care. Now, I don't want to take the time today and debate all of the problems or solutions regarding health care. But because we were asked to gather today to talk about taxes, I'm going to talk about how taxes could play a future role in health care delivery. And many Albertans have often asked me why we got rid of health care premiums. And I was there at the time. So let me try and explain. The original intent behind the health care premium was that Albertans could see every month that their own dollars were going to pay towards health care. You get a bill in the mail, you'd write a check and you'd send it in, sort of like a utility bill. Then times gradually changed and almost everyone moved from writing a check to having premiums deducted at source, or in fact the employer was paying a portion of those health care premiums. And I would say that Albertans lost what I call skin in the game when it came to paying for health care. In fact, I think my children, that generation, really had no idea they were paying health care premiums. It came off as a deduction off their check. In addition to that, small employers were bearing the costs. In many cases, they simply had to, to retain employees. The province was taking in about a billion dollars annually in health care premiums. But on closer examination, when we took a look at it, about a third of that was just money churning around. What I mean by that is the province provides a grant to municipalities, school boards, universities. They, in turn, were paying their employees half of the premiums for health care, sending it back to the provincial government. None of that was new money. It was just money churned around. That goes for health care workers, for provincial employees, for a whole number of people indirectly working for government. So the net result of the province reducing... Uh, or eliminating health care premiums, we actually ended up costing the province about a half a billion dollars. And I want to come back to say that's about the equivalent of a five-cent gasoline tax. Now, we also have to remember that we decided to discontinue health care premiums prior to the 2008 election at a time when we were running a $5 billion surplus. And it was hard for MLIs to justify to many of their constituents that actually paid health care premiums, that the government needed the money. The mistake I think we made was not replacing the premiums with something else. Because I think we need to remind Albertans that health care is not free. I guess the good news is it's not too late to do that. In my view, it's time that a health fee became part of our annual income tax filing. We could start with 1% of income tax payable, Obviously, those without a taxable income wouldn't be required to pay. If we wanted, we could grandfather in seniors. We could do a whole bunch of things. We could cap the annual payments. But at least Albertans would see every year when they pay that income tax that a percentage was going to pay for health care. Now, there are a whole lot of other issues around uh, health care that we could talk about, but actually I'll save those for another invitation. What I've tried to do is lay out a plan today that would better balance the province's money-in, money-out predicament. By now, we're all familiar with Doug Horner's budget last month. And I guess my view of that budget was it seems to have made everybody unhappy. The province is in the early stages of its four-year mandate, which I believe is when you do the tough stuff. I know Clint was there back in the early 90s when 
tough decisions were made. They did the tough stuff. My view is if you're going to make almost everyone unhappy, why not go all the way and implement all the measures and make them mad as hell, but fix the problem? Because we haven't fixed the fundamental problem. This would have been the year to restructure the tax system, make some of the necessary spending cuts, and show a true savings plan going forward. Because if revenues don't improve next year, the government will have no choice but to either continue to cut back on program spending or introduce new taxes. Politically, these things get more and more difficult as you get closer to an election, and that issue of political courage comes into play. But I guess my greatest fear is that resource revenues will pick up next year, and we won't have the political courage again to talk about fixing an unbalanced tax structure. We'll continue being the most selfish generation and spend everything that comes in the door. We won't deal with the issue of saving our non-renewable resource revenue, and 30 years from now our Heritage Fund will stay at $16 billion. I think we'll have wasted a crisis. It could have been turned into an opportunity, and several years down the road we'll embark on the same discussion all over again. Now nobody likes increased taxes, but I believe when presented as part of a comprehensive 30-year savings plan and framed properly, Albertans are more ready to have that discussion than our political leaders are. We just need that political courage to have that discussion. With those comments, I thank you very much for being here today, and I believe after lunch we're going to have an opportunity to have an exchange of questions and answers and dialogue, and I very much look forward to that. Thank you.